0: Hey, everyone. Just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. Servant of God, Sister Thea Bowman once said, I find that when I'm working with people, I feel better. A kind of strength and energy comes with that. Welcome to the 115th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke, and I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to know the power of reaching out and building community with our sisters and brothers. It can bring healing not only to them but to us as well. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for Saint Dimphna's mentions. <laughs> We're going to start by taking a look at why it's so difficult to get quality mental health services for our sisters and brothers who are incarcerated and what we might be able to do about it. We'll start with a little bit from Slate Com. Speaking about an attempt to create a coexistence of prison guards and social workers in the late 1920s, David Rothman once wrote, Guards and would-be social workers could not coexist in the same institution. Whenever it's tried, it reveals the difficulty, even the impossibility, of a program that would at once cure and coerce, that would discipline and rehabilitate That early attempt failed, but today prisons are still trying to bring the vision to life to resolve the fundamental tension between security and rehabilitation. In particular, society tasks prisons with the treatment of prisoners with mental illness to simultaneously heal them and punish them, and it's not working. The Illinois Department of Corrections, for example, has been under an injunction from a federal court since 2018 for failing to provide adequate mental health care. In the summer of 2021, amid ongoing judicial scrutiny, a report found that Illinois prison, prisons call it treatment when a mental health care worker walks through the corridor of a solitary confinement wing and speaks to prisoners through their cell doors. Mentally ill prisoners in solitary are also allotted one 15-30 to 30 minute session with a mental health care worker, every 30 to 60 days in 2015 oregon's prison system was lacking mentally ill prisoners oh i'm sorry locking mentally ill prisoners in their cells for 23 hours a day in january 2021 after investigations and outside intervention a report found that oregon still locked some mentally ill prisoners alone in their cells for 21 hours a day that's just shy of the un's definition of torture which is 22 hours of solitary confinement per day In one survey, 54% of incarcerated women with a mental illness said they got help at their current prison, but a recent government report found that only 10% of prisoners in the UK receive mental health care whereas almost 70% are suffering from mental illness. Prison, as a rule, harms incarcerated people's mental health. Prisoners are separated from their loved ones. They have no privacy. There's constant noise. They are frequently assaulted by fellow prisoners and staff. They have no control over their lives. Many people in prison were already mentally ill before their incarceration, but the experience tends to to worsen their pre-existing conditions and saddle them with new ones. Research has found that incarceration ratchets up a person's odds of developing post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar disorder, and major depression so back to me this all points to the truth of how crucial it is for us to speak out against the harm being done to our incarcerated sisters and brothers especially those with mental illness and to work toward advocating for other approaches to helping those who find themselves in the legal system mental health courts more resources in the community to help those in need and places for people to go to receive mental health treatment quickly and effectively are all essential and yet so rare Let's be the voice of our church and ensure that Catholics lead the way in fighting for reform to help those in need. So each episode I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Joseph of Leonisa. In 1556 in present-day Italy, Joseph was known to have a religious mind from a very young age, even erecting small altars and praying before them, and getting a large group of his young friends to join him in prayer as well. He was educated by his uncle, who had arranged a pretty ideal marriage for Joseph, but at age 16, he became ill with an intense fever, and after recovering, he immediately joined the Franciscans. He became known for his incredible abstinence, even fasting for an entire year in 1599, in preparation for a jubilee year of indulgence he was sent to constantinople to minister to the christians held captive there but he actually ended up witnessing to the oppressors who found his poverty to be supernatural even though he was thrown in prison time and time again for preaching out in the streets he kept going out and eventually he decided to try to enter the palace of sultan murad III to talk to him about christianity And this led to him being seized and condemned to death. He hung in the gallows for three days, held up by hooks driven through his right hand and right foot. But miraculously, he was released by an angel and was able to return to Italy. I mean, this is incredible stuff, right? Once he returned, he dedicated himself to preaching to the poorest in the area and spent his time supplying them with food, washing their clothes, and cutting their hair and he died in 1612. Joseph went through a lot from coming close to death through physical sickness to living in extreme poverty to imprisonment and is absolutely someone we can look to when we're struggling in the difficult moments of our life for accompaniment, encouragement, and prayer. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Almighty God, you made St. Joseph of Leonessa an illustrious preacher of the gospel. Through his prayers, inflame us with love and with his zeal for souls that we may serve you alone. St. Joseph of Leonessa, pray for us. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Twitter <music> therapy. Sonia gets us started. Could you talk about dealing with generational trauma and how to encourage family members to seek out therapy? Let's get started by praying for everyone living with intergenerational trauma, for healing, and for access to compassionate care that leads to wellness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil amen thank you so much for this important question let's start with definitions we'll go with goodtherapy.org first intergenerational trauma sometimes referred to as trans or multi-generational trauma is defined as trauma that gets passed down from those who directly experience an incident to subsequent generations The American Psychological Association provides us with some info on how we've really only now started to understand the impact of trauma being passed down. One of the first articles to note the presence of intergenerational trauma appeared in 1966 when Canadian psychiatrist Vivian M. Rockoff documented high rates of psychological distress among children of Holocaust survivors. Since then, researchers have been assessing anxiety, depression, and PTSD in trauma survivors and their progeny, with Holocaust survivors and their children the most widely studied uh, over the longest period of time. Most of these studies have found atypically high rates of these disorders, so back Back to me thanks be to god as you hinted at in your question there is hope for those of us experiencing this kind of trauma and it comes in the form of family systems therapy boston university shares how the cycle can be broken treatment for breaking the cycle can be as simple as educating the public to understand the way their trauma, past or present, affects their families, but also ranging from training, being able to, uh, being available to frontline professionals to help them while dealing with traumatized members of the community. More formally, it's important to utilize family systems approaches to dealing with and preventing intergenerational trauma. In this form of therapy, the focus is on the self. IFS was developed by Dr. Richard Swartz when he realized that there were significant connections that his clients made between external family systems and internal self talk. He began to identify specific parts of the self and determine that they all had value and could learn to work together rather than against each other. Additionally, within the family systems approach, therapists are able to redirect and help heal pain from intergenerational trauma by utilizing four strategies, use of culture-informed treatment, Interruption of unhealthy family communication patterns, giving trauma a voice within the family, and helping parents offer children the permission to process the trauma in a way that makes sense to them. Back to me. Now, as you also mentioned, encouraging family members to seek out therapy can be a daunting task, but as always, I would encourage checking out NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, as they provide tons of great advice for helping resistant family members be more open to treatment. Of course, asking how best to support a loved one leading by example like getting help yourself and being willing to get the hard work of getting connected uh, to treatment all done like with them helping them do that are all great places to start Sister Anonymous is up next. I've been a religious sister for 14 years. I take medication for generalized anxiety disorder and have sought therapy in different seasons when it was necessary. I feel open and comfortable to sharing this with a few close friends who understand me within and outside of my community. But there's still a stigma about mental health issues within our community. What are some tips for promoting discussion among this small community of 30 ranging from ages 30 to 90? Let's start in prayer for Sister Anonymous and for all religious that the stigma associated with mental illness may be rooted out and that they may find an openness and a supportive community within their communities. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, I just want to say how incredible it is that you've reached out for help, found it, and are open to talking about your mental health with those you feel safe with. It's such an incredible witness, and the fact that you're looking for ways to bring these discussions more out into the general community, it's just wonderful. Of course, it's also hard work. As you mentioned, there's always stigma lurking around every corner, and it can be a daunting task to try to get the topic of mental health to be openly and compassionately discussed. We're going to take a look at psychology today to get some ideas. Whatever the role is that you hold in your community, the following are four strategies to increase your comfort and effectiveness when discussing mental health. Number one, find mental health champions. Having an individual willing to disclose their own experience with mental illness and recovery can open up dialogue, change perceptions, and create comfort faster than any other kind of educational program. Patrick Corrigan, one of the foremost experts in stigma research, found in study after study, the most effective method to change attitudes about mental health is what's called contact-based behavioral health anti-stigma intervention. That is, people with lived experience of mental illness or substance use disorders interact with the public, describing their challenges and their stories of success. Number two, be prepared for and accept the uncomfortable feelings. Paradoxically, knowing and accepting that something will be uncomfortable can make the experience easier to bear. Prior to talking about mental health, assume unpleasant emotions and sensations will rise within you. Your job is only to tolerate them, be mindful of them. Um, Be mindful of those awkward feelings and continue the discussion. Preparing for them will make the conversations easier. Practice talking about mental health is number three. Practice brings experience, experience brings mastery, and mastery brings confidence. Be intentional. Start with low-risk situations. Take strategic approaches to discuss mental health in casual conversation in positive terms. The more you do, the easier it will become. Let people know what you're doing and encourage them to join. Ask people what, what they do to stay mentally healthy as well. Number four, make it fun and be curious. Even though mental illness can be a heavy subject, that doesn't mean learning about it or creating a supportive environment has to be. A lighthearted and respectful approach opens dialogue up as well as people's hearts and minds. The more serious we are about the subject, the more cautious we are asking questions and the more difficult it is to discuss. I really hope that helps. Kayla wraps us up. How can we help others connect to God and be able to help them through their emotional stress? And how can we gain deeper uh, relationships with God and St. Dymphna so that we can control ourselves and deepen our relationship with others? Let's start by praying for Kayla and everyone doing the hard work of journeying through their emotional distress while trying to deepen their relationship with God and others that God may bring healing our way and make our path forward as clear as possible. Remember I really appreciate this question, Kayla. I know this podcast is just a little piece of the puzzle, but I'm hoping it's a starting point for helping people find some of the community they've been looking for when it comes to mental and emotional health and well-being. I think the starting point for helping others to connect with God and walk with them through their emotional distress is to listen and be there for them. We have to come to realize that most people don't need us to fix their problems, but they need someone to walk alongside them as they go through their experience. Simply sitting with someone and being willing to listen without being scared away by the symptoms they experience or the thoughts they might share, that goes a long way. It may sound oversimplified, but just treating everyone with dignity and respect can make a huge difference because sadly, when we're going through a difficult time with our mental health, people can tend to push us away, treat us as other, and that really increases the suffering. In order to deepen our relationship with God and Saint Dymphina so that we can better control ourselves and deepen our relationships with others, we've got to start with prayer. Prayer for ourselves, prayer for others. Prayers that are simple and straight to the point, realizing that prayer is the foundation for our relationship with God is such a big step. It seems obvious, but if this pandemic has taught me anything about my faith, it's that neglecting prayer has a serious impact on my mental health and on my ability to relate to others in my life. Of course, there are times when our mental health can make it difficult to pray, and it's in those moments that we can rely on others to pray for us, both St. Dimphna from heaven and other people around. Around us here on earth that we can ask for prayers and support. We really get to see the body of Christ in action when we ask others to pray for us when we don't feel able to pray. I hope that helps, and remember to go easy on yourself and reach out for help whenever you need it. God bless. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dimna.